Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. An expert? Dare I say it? I don't know. I've been quoted in some publications, so maybe we're at that point. With me, as always, my co-host, the skeptic, the voice of the people. She's excited that it's ballot season. Kristen stuttered. Hey, Kristen. Wow. Telling me what I'm excited about, Joe. I am excited that it's ballot season. You're not wrong, but I I don't appreciate the implication. Doesn't mean it's right. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, uh, let's, let's bring in our guest. Excited to have him with us. Uh, You might know him from Flux blog. He's a music writer and he's here with us today. Matthew Perpetua. Hey, Matthew. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Off the top, I think I got to get into this. I got to ask you, when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a very weird institution for people, even music writers, uh, what is your reference level for this thing coming in? Pretty solid. I mean, I worked at Rolling Stone for a few years, and like Rolling Stone is obviously very invested in the Rock Hall in literal and figurative ways. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, very, very much so. <laughs> yeah, and so between that and because I think like in the few years I was there, I did a lot of news, so I covered a lot of news relating to the Rock Hall, though put a gun to my head. I couldn't tell you who were nominated in those years or went through. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but I also, you know, was kind of connected to lots of other music writer people. So it, it always comes up every year. So, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say like, I'm, it's something I'm an expert in, but I know probably more than most would about, you know, how it works, the machinations behind it and who's in and who's not in and probably the reasons why. Ooh. Yeah, that's a degree of connection that uh, will serve you. <laughs> not yeah. like you have you're going to need to compete or anything so you have a you have a good reference level do you have any opinions i think a lot of people will take it probably more seriously than it should which is not to say that it shouldn't be taken seriously at all um i kind of approach these things kind of similar to the grammys or you know all those kind of things but with the added layer that the rock and roll hall of fame is a tourist destination. So I think that some of the interests in who you want to be in it is in some ways geared towards what would a tourist really hype who's Who's going to go to Cleveland for this. Yeah, that's part of the equation. And like, like who would, like what would be like a really good exhibit? Because Radiohead had gotten a couple years ago. I remember like, yeah, that'd be a great exhibit. (laughs) 
yeah, yeah there's a lot to, be, to showcase. And people and... will be very excited to go there and see Radiohead because that's a band a lot of people have like way more than a uh, casual attachment to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of variables, but the yeah, exhibit aspect, the induction ceremony aspect as well, you know, what will make a good program for HBO. The other thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is I think there's always the tension of people taking the name very literally or not. Mm, right. Mm. And I think like there's a lot of push towards it just being a generalized music call of fame, like a popular music call of fame. And I think that's good, but I feel like if you're going to call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you still have to kind of rep for that for, for a certain chunk of it. So if you're trying to sketch out like a rock canon, there's still lots of things they should have, but they don't yet mm-hmm. so yeah i think that's the key thing there now to get to know you since you've never been on the show before why don't we play matthew is a rock hall voter and i am going to share the ballot with you okay so yeah i was actually looking at this before like who is up this year and mm-hmm. it's such a weird mix of things because there's nothing that I would look no I won't say nothing but I would say the vast majority of this I would not object to it getting in Mm -hmm. it's a really uncontroversial ballot from top to bottom there's not many people that are gag worthy if you will yeah I mean the one thing is like I I wouldn't say Eminem is undeserving but I'd say it's too soon for Eminem way too soon there's a lot of even if we're just trying to fill in rappers there's a lot of rappers who should probably get in before him um, like yeah. off the top of my head is like Outcast should probably get in before Eminem does. Mm-hmm. Or be nominated. Yeah, they've been eligible. King Clan should be in before Eminem. Yeah. So but Eminem, yeah. God, he's famous. So, so that's a good the bottom exhibit. line. A good yeah, exhibit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And in Cleveland, come on. I think the one thing I look at here where I'm like, okay, that should be in, no questions asked, is Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton is an icon, beloved, just in all sorts of ways, important and uh, culturally interesting. Dolly Parton should be in, no question. So interesting too, that you started off though, this whole thing being like, all right, if you're going to be, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you got to really rep for rock and roll in and of itself or whatever. Yeah, but she- I feel like Dolly Parton, at least she's transcendent. Part. Like, yeah, like, but she's also does like country rock. It's like it's not that big of a leap. I mean, they have the Eagles in, right? And this is kind of proving our theory that everybody is going to vote for Dolly. Yep. Yeah, we believe she'll be. Yeah, the I mean, top it's like she, she's like the the one clear icon here, like the icon of icons. Yeah, she's the headline. There's nobody bigger on the ballot. I would put Rage in because I don't think they do well enough with metal. It's a, a rap metal band, kind of interesting and important in lots of ways. Non-white singer and lead guitarist that goes a long way given how much of the bands in there be mostly white if not Mm -hmm. all white Mm -hmm. also the we'll get into this as we move along i feel like they're very bad with the 90s so rage also yeah the 90s it's a slow trickle you get maybe one 90s rock act a year i mean typically it's the one that isn't Rage. Rage has been on the ballot a few times at this point. I understand that also um, Tom Morello is on like the the nominating committee. Yeah, so he's got some sway. You know, I look at like, okay, who are the two 90s acts here? It's Rage Against the Machine and Beck. And we're going to talk about Beck a lot in this episode, obviously. But 
spec is a very well connected industry person. And, and these like lots of people like him in the music industry. So that I think that goes a long way towards explaining why Beck is there. And, you know, a whole range of arguably more famous and more important 90s acts are not. Uh, Kay Bush, I have no problem with, but I don't know. I, I feel like it would make a lot of people happy, but also make a lot of people confused. Um, <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's also like the, the bias of the Rock Hall, I think is very American since she's yes. like almost, she's oh, almost yeah. like too British. Yeah, that's what will keep her out. Yeah, it's the fame part in. that's going to be a difficult for her. Like Eurythmics are also British, but they're well known and Annie mm-hmm. Lennox and, and Dave Stewart, another person who's like a major, like super connected music industry guy. I don't really have like, a lot of passion for Eurythmics. I do like Annie Lennox. Man, a lot of these things are like things like I, I again, like I would have no like real objection to. I think, okay, MC5 and New York Dolls, they're nominated over and over again. I think just give up. <laughs> just give up on yeah, them or, or let the hall put them in in a side category just on their own which is what they are going to do we're predicting that that's what will happen with mc5 this year yeah, yeah just kind of like here's like our proto punk category and you know mc5 i think really is is the one song it's kick out the jams and the rest is kind of there as well but it's really kick out the jams so it's like really getting in on one song which seems weird right there's a deep influence but the catalog isn't long is the are the Kingsmen in? No, they're not. So, okay, the Kingsmen should be in there before MC5, because you're going to do, like, what's the more important one song? Louie Louie's the more important one song. <laughs> but isn't Louie Louie in the singles category, or am it I It is, wrong? but we okay. don't talk about the singles category. But we don't talk about the singles evaporated. category, because it was one it year, fully? for all intents and purposes, yes. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I guess the argument with MC5 is that it's a little bit deeper than than the Kingsmen who, you know, and they're, they're a more serious band than the Kingsmen who, yeah. you know, Again, it's really the, the thing of like, it's really like the one really cool, important song. I don't know. I'm an MC5 skeptic here. Yeah, I think as are many. I mean, they haven't they haven't gotten in after this is their sixth time on the ballot, you know. So At what point do they just go like, okay, forget it. You had enough shots. You're, you're not getting put up again. Well, we saw... LL last year, it was his sixth time on the ballot. So that's why we're thinking six is about the... Didn't he basically get put in, though, like outside of the voting? That's that's what I mean. So yeah. like after six or so times on a ballot with nothing, similarly with Kraftwerk last year, they it seems like the Hall is just going to put them in either as early influence, which would make sense for MC5, early influence on punk, that's fine. Or they just use the catch-all musical excellence category, which is what they did with LL. So like moving through this, like Duran Duran, I think it's as part of, and I guess your rhythmics as well. This is part of a, a general, like filling in the eighties. Yes. Eking out the eighties. We swept out the seventies. We scraped out the sixties. We're eking out the eighties. So and yeah. Someday I, the nineties will get their turn. There's just like a lot of like super major nineties ones where it's like, okay, you're clearly waiting for like the next decade or later in this decade to kind of get to those. Wait, so who's on your ballot so far? The two I would definitely vote for Dolly and Rage. God, the rest of it's, it's so hard because like Beck is my favorite artist here, but I think it's way too early for Beck. And Beck is a weird to cut the line ahead of a lot of other people, including artists who are like directly connected to him. Like I would certainly prefer Sonic Youth to be in before Beck. But the argument might be you put in Beck to make room for more, you know, weird artists to sneak onto the ballot, you know? Well, the, the, the thing that, what, what does Beck represent here? Beck is the first indie aesthetic artist to get it's more like he represents, he's the first 
thing that I can think of that's been nominated for this that represents an entire lane of indie rock. Yeah, of indie rock's mainstreaming, almost, of the thing that would lead to the resurgence of Garage in the early 2000s or whatever. Right. But if Beck's there, like naturally, you'd want to get Sonic Youth and you'd want to get Pavement. Pavement's absolutely destined to be like this MC5 New York Dolls thing, but like mm-hmm. in the future, like like Pavement's up again. Like, eh. yeah, yeah, Pavement's my, favorite, Pavement's my favorite band of all time. So I'm looking forward to them just being thrown into this mill, which I think Devo, Devo is absolutely in a Pavement lane here too, where it's like, mm-hmm. this is a, a very undoubtedly important band who is beloved, but I think not fully understood by a casual person. Because I think Devo for most people is whip it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I would vote for Devo because I think they could use the vote. And if you're going to have like a punk vote, Devo deserves your punk vote more than MC5 or New York Dolls do. And also we mm-hmm. should point out that you're wearing glasses. So of course you're <laughs> going to, you're going to want Devo over MC5 and New York Dolls. Pat Benatar is a real like, sure, but I don't know how I like vote for Pat Benatar. Judas Priest, I don't really care for, but like, again, like they're pretty bad with metal. Uh, Fela Kute is a weird fit for the Rock Hall, like a really great artist and performer, but it feels a little forced, honestly. It feels like the Rock Hall's trying something with Fela Kuti. It feels like yeah. they're trying to be like, huh? do they have anyone else who would be like under like the problematic term of like uh, world music I mean if you want to consider Bob Marley that which I would say the appeal in America would probably negate that you know you know who I I think I might vote for here is kind of a this letter in is Carly Simon I like that because Carly Simon is someone who I think has become sort of underrated through time and mm-hmm. I think fits in alongside some other people who are already in. So it's kind of like, why isn't Carly Simon there? You know? Yeah, what well, took so long. So, yeah, so I think Carly Simon is actually a pretty solid vote. And I think I would also vote for A Tribe Called Quest because it's definitely the better rap option here. And I think Tribe is really good. You know, they fit naturally alongside the Beastie Boys and Public Enemy, which are already in, good for the exhibit. You know, so I think is that five? Yeah. I think I got that is five, five right? I believe. Dolly, Rage, Devo, Carly, Tribe. Yeah, an eclectic mix, but really, how can you not be with this ballot? I mean, good for them for getting almost like a randomness of, of yes, things that are yes. Over it. Mm-hmm. It's a really strange mix this year. Yeah, but you know, we like it and. We're curious to see what happens with the final class, which will be, you know, the more populous names. There's a degree of realism that has to go into this where, you know, you you can hold off on Beck because you want pavement, but you also know. Who are your favorites for actually getting in? Like Dolly almost certainly getting in. I would say Duran Mm -hmm. Duran and Eminem seem like they're almost certainly getting in. I think Carly will get in like strong name recognition. Lionel Richie as well. Just like two names that are so huge. Those tend to be the yeah, names. Yeah, I mean, that they're just kind of old veterans. And if this is supposed yeah. to be just like, the, you know, here's all the people that you like from the past. Like, why shouldn't they be there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All shaking hands and hugging. I feel like it's a race for if there's going to be a sixth slot, is it going to be Pat Benatar? Is it going to be? I sure hope so. <laughs> Dion Warwick also, you know, has legendary status yeah. and has renewed interest in the past few years. Dion you know? Warwick seems like probably the most random, though, because the things that she would be most famous for seem like a very odd fit for the hall, like this kind of stuff where it's like, we're back rack. You know, a more adult contemporary side of things, which we maybe don't associate with yeah. rock and roll, yeah. but she's definitely a huge force in the yeah. era. I would say like when you look at like Dion Warwick, Carly Simon, Lionel Richie, like those are all things where it's like, 
I don't think anyone would be upset for them to get through. They're definitely like, but they got their legend cards a long, long time ago. Yeah. And, you know, a number of those people, I think, are enshrined in other places like the Songwriters Hall of Fame or or whatever. I mean, Dolly has just about every yeah. accolade you could get, especially in, in the country music world. See, I think that if you put Dolly up and you don't put her through, then people are furious. Oh, there's just no way. <laughs> there's absolutely not a chance on earth that she doesn't get in this year. There's just, yeah. I mean, I've, and I love Dolly Parton. So I'm like very excited that she's on the bill, but I'm also like not that excited because it's like such an obvious slam Board dunk that I'm like, yeah. yeah, there we go. Did you see Dolly the last time she was doing that big round of touring? I guess maybe a couple I years saw ago, a few her years ago. in like 2017 in yeah, LA. I may have seen, I may have saw it was 2018, but yeah, I, I, I saw her at the Hollywood Bowl. In yeah, Los I saw her at the Bowl. I was I was yeah. probably the same thing. Yeah, she was. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. so great. But it's also like that was because oh, you can verify like that's got to be one of the most like multi generational audiences I've been in. Yeah, she's the most like unifying figure in America. Yeah, make her time president. is right for Dolly <laughs> to go do in. It. I, that's my new thing is literally just make her president. Like install her. <laughs> I don't no care. Election. Yeah. No election, install her and it needs see, to be a bloody coup. See who has That's the fine. nerve to complain? I don't there will not be. It will be a velvet revolution. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. Healing our country through art. Let's do it. Uh, but you know who I, I think honestly could be jockeying for that sixth slot is Beck. I, I think it could, I mean, when it comes to new relatively newly eligible artists, we get one typically a year. And if we get two, it's it's someone from the hip hop lane. It's someone from, and usually it's been bands, but I, I think Beck, and like you said, industry connections, but let's yeah. let's talk about Beck. Well, he, and, he's also kind of like multi-genre as well. Because I mean, mm-hmm. Beck's done mm-hmm. a fair deal of rap and R&B in his career too. So I think that's one of the things that Beck really has going for him is that his body of work covers a lot of ground that if you don't really care for one version of Beck, you might really love the other. So if you don't really like the Odelay Midnight Vultures Beck, you might be a huge fan of Sea Change Beck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he can pull in votes from different people in that way. And then also I think just the, the sheer range that he's shown over the years, I think is unusual. There's not a lot of people who have credibly done as many things that he has done in his career. Oh, Matthew, wait until you hear about Joe's little categories. He is—he <laughs> has a whole rubric that he would like to discuss back through. Let's do it. A it's lens, uh, but the way he likes to begin is, and I'll go ahead and just cue you up. Thank the way you, he likes to begin. Thank you. I just didn't want, I was like, I was like, Joe's like the categories, man. We'll get to him. Um, <laughs> uh, the way that he likes to begin is, do you remember the first time that you heard Beck or do you remember remember where or when or how you first heard Beck's music and do you remember kind of what song or what the instance oh, was? Oh yeah this this one's easy for anyone who would be even remotely close to my age it would absolutely just be hearing Loser on MTV because mm-hmm. that was such an MTV song I mean it was playing the radio too yeah hit, but like that's an MTV song that was like a song that's like in, like in the way that MTV worked in its prime where things would just be plucked down from the heavens and then like ubiquitous within two days just yeah. because they had just had that degree of power. When you first heard Beck, were you into it? I don't think I was like super bonkers for Beck right away. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't buy Mellow Gold. I, I think I kind of got into him more with Odelay like a, a year or two later. But yeah, so I don't think I was like as heavy into Beck from the start. If I'm trying to like kind of time travel to, I guess I was probably like 14, mm-hmm. something like that. I think I was probably into it, but probably was like, oh, this is just a, a, an MTV song in the way that a lot of things were. Yeah, and I think that's how a lot of people felt. The very fact that I bought so many things but did not buy Mellow Gold, I did not actually own a physical copy 
gave Melo gold for many years. I never had a bad feeling about Beck. I think I just kind of thought it was kind of like a one-hit wonder, which I think was a lot of people's assumption. I think that was what seemed to be the trajectory in a way. It seemed like a one-off, almost like a novelty song, I think, mm-hmm. when it came mm-hmm. out. Feeling very spoken word, using... it. it he was, hadn't gotten yeah, a sample yet, you know? Like, I think Odile was... And we will obviously, when we get to those categories, we will talk about how important that album was, I think, with regard to, like, mainstreaming sampling, especially in rock music or, like, alternative rock yeah. music, which is something that you just weren't seeing happening at that time it's like yeah he burst onto the scene and everyone was like oh this like skinny blonde guy you know just kind of talking nonsense it's like he's probably gonna just be uh, he could have been a not a surf like um. yeah this is the idea that the mtv is kind of cycling through a lot of alt-rock novelties at that time so it was hard to say like what was going i mean because what was this? Was 94? I mean, this was, was this like kind in of blind melon? A year after Radiohead Creep and like Radiohead yeah. and Beck both have the initial thing of being known for this really famous song about having low self-esteem that is still like one of their biggest songs respectively. But mm-hmm. I think it was completely logical to look at this. Like, oh, this is, this is this the novelty song and we're, you know, we'll move on. There's probably not an artist who's going to have huge staying power. Um, but I think there's kind of two things with Beck from the start that kind of pointed in the direction direction of where you know how things would work out is the first is like still on mtv um he had that very famous appearance on 120 minutes with thurston moore from sonic youth and uh, i think also mike d from the beastie boys so he's also like completely bizarre in it it's like kind of like weird dada performance Mm -hmm. uh, that they're just doing on you know it's it's, you know it's it's one o'clock in the morning on a sunday but it's still like tv so it's still seen by lots and lots of people but you can find that on youtube it's incredible footage you know so he's kind of presenting himself as this absolute weirdo figure which is makes you very beloved in that period of time for sure but it's also like this kind of pretty serious cosine from the sonic youth and the beastie boys who mm-hmm. kind of like the, the grand arbiters of a certain kind of cool through especially in that moment in time and then i think from there he was also releasing a lot of like uh, indie stuff before Odile came out. So he's kind of, you know, getting more of that kind of credibility on his side and just kind of uh, creating a body of work. So it's harder to dismiss. And you can be like, oh, you know, I don't really like Loser. I really like Cyanide Breathman. Definitely this is the wrong place to be. There's blood on the futon. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, by design from his perspective, you know, when Loser was such a big hit the labels came calling and because there was a bit of a bidding war he could construct the relationship he had with his label and part of the deal with Geffen was that he could release these kind of weirder more experimental albums on indie labels whenever he wanted and then would deliver the the major label release as well but he had the freedom to like for example go to k records you know with calvin yeah. johnson from from beat happening and, and do something kind of weird which is also interesting because i mean i think his music was quite weird for that time or yeah, you but, know what yeah, i mean like even right. the mainstream hits like i don't think like where it's at is like what you would consider like a radio ready yeah. mainstream hit it's, it's you know it's kind of jerky it's got it yeah it's eccentric exactly yeah yeah i mean it's it's uh i think people were ready for that if just because of how popular the Beastie Boys were. Mm-hmm. So, that's I mean, true, that's really true. Doing and Paul's boutique and kind of said everything Beastie Boys up. hadn't done. In that record, Odile, he is a collaboration with the Dust Brothers who mm-hmm. did 
uh, the BC Boys Paul's Boutique. So there's kind of a direct line between those Which two Which is things. really interesting, like thinking about that now. But yeah, yeah. Like... I, mean, I think that the thing with Beck is that he's always been very good at creating this career where he can have like this real artistic freedom and ability to be as weird as he likes. But also he's got a lot of career savvy. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the lead up to his break, get into his life before then, his early career. Beck is the, the son of artist parents you know his mom was part of the warhol scene bb hansen and his father he did and continues to do string arrangements for beck and for a lot of artists his his discography is is quite deep he's also a fluxus artist i believe his grandfather on his mother's side right 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 got it yeah was but like yeah, the he, he's from like, a family of like bohemian artists and he was also kind of born into Scientology, a very particular kind of LA guy. Mm-hmm. I think I think Los Angeles is a very big part of this whole deal. Yeah, and including the you know Latin parts of LA. You mm-hmm. know, he, he he grew up around that and you see that in so much of his work, whether it's an album title like Guero Soy or it's Soy Perdedor. Perdedor. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's all it's all over there. That influence has has stuck with him. Yeah, the Scientology thing is is strange when you try to get your finger on it because he has contradicted himself. There have been interviews where he said, you know, I I am a Scientologist. And then when he wasn't, there was a weird interview where he was like, I was never a Scientologist, even though we had I I think like on one hand, his relationship is probably similar to, you know, the way like I'm technically Catholic, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm not really, I'm not Practicing Catholic, culturally kind of Catholic, if you will. But yeah, I think it's. I think there's some of that to it. But I think there's. You actually will if you really go really look at it. There's like little bits of Scientology ideas that will pop up in his music once in a blue moon, mm-hmm. but not on the song Blue Moon. Um, <laughs> in the more recent past, and this is like the last record he released, Hyperspace. That's basically a record about him and his family falling apart, getting divorced from his wife of many years, who's also like a Scientologist. Yeah. Rabisi, that kind of famous. Oh, Giovanni Rabisi's sister? Oh. Yeah, R- yeah Giovanni's yeah. So twin if you read sister. between the lines of what sister. happened, it seems like he basically became increasingly uncomfortable with Scientology and his acting away from Scientology was not good for his family in the way that, you know, yeah. it's, it's very complicated and he's very private. So, like, mm-hmm. well, anything, you know, talking about this stuff, it's kind of like piecing together things that kind of come through, you know, either in interviews, but mostly in things that are kind of like just in the world. But I think like his relationship with Scientology is probably, to put it very mildly, very complex. Yeah. Well, you mentioned his, you know, kind of industry savvy, like if someone like that who knows how to maneuver himself and operate within the press and the media knows that he can't be upfront about that kind of thing. So if he is, when he has a father who's a big time Scientologist and marries into like one of the more famous Scientology families, but knowing that being that open about it is going to affect your career. And then also when you leave, knowing that if you badmouth Scientology, then they will attack you. It puts him in a place where he has to like do a little dance to make sure he can preserve himself. Yeah, they're like notoriously not someone you want to be on the other on the wrong side of. Yeah, right. That's yeah. you know it, yeah. it, how do you how do you get? At, I mean, like he has been criticized from more outspoken former Scientologists, like you know Lee Remini, who called him a pussy because he was essentially afraid to say anything, trying to preserve himself, and that you know maybe 
the things he could have said could have gone a long way given, you know, his status, but he chose not to. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that. a pretty cowardly uh, choice that he's made, but he also, it's like one that I think many of us understand, like yeah, it's, it's a self-preservation. Difficult. Yeah, you know? it's also probably hard to say like how much he just wants to be involved. I think there's mm-hmm. lots of things in life where like, I just, just leave me out of it. I just, yeah, you know, even if you, any connection you have to it, you just would like for it to not be, you know, especially because it's like how religious is he it's very hard to say like mm-hmm. how much how much yeah. investment did he ever have in this because it's something that he's kind of born into so it's like it seems complicated and, and weird and but it's yeah. also this thing that that's always hanging over him because you're like wait that's a scientologist mm-hmm. yes yeah, like, one, one of conversations the conversations will gravitate towards that in one way or another yeah that's all we really need to say about scientology scientology um, corner <laughs> we, we moved through it. yes but his beginnings as a musician are interesting you know just being a part of i guess what is called the anti-folk movement and you can imagine given the work that came after it but a lot of what he was doing in the beginning was kind of jokey and weird and you know improvising lyrics as he's playing bluesy type songs on his acoustic guitar and jumping up on stage while bands are setting up at like a a small venue but somehow through all of that it works and someone notices him and then the the career begins yeah and i think at that stage you know he's kind of a cute weirdo boy and i think that's kind of enough to a certain extent, I think if you kind of look at the bigger picture of his career through time, like a lot of artists who kind of start off, you know, they're they're not particularly personal or they're not too deep. You know, you become less guarded through time. So, you know, he's now famous for like some records he's done where he's tremendously unguarded, just incredibly poignant and incredibly sad. So, you know, right. like he, he changes in that way. But I think there's always this part of him that wants to be private and kind of keep people at arm's length. I think even in those more openly sad things that he's done. And to me, that's like one of the most interesting things about his body of work. I've written about him a few times in the past. And one of the things I always come back to is just like so much of what he's done seems to be, you know, kind of looking for like a identity or like how, you know, there's like something missing and trying to find a way to feel what's missing. Um, I think sometimes that's done in a kind of poignant way. And then sometimes it's done for pure comedy. Like my favorite of his record is Midnight Vultures. And I've always seen that as kind of like this record that's ultimately like if you really boil it down is a, a search for masculine identity and every single one of those identities is a farce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's my favorite one as well. I have like a really strong connection to that album, and yeah, it it doesn't have to be as good as it is too. It's doing more than it had to, and I think I really appreciate that. And it was like so unexpected at the time that it came out. Just like from what we knew about Beck, we didn't expect this like funk record, like yeah. a truly funky funk record, to come out from Beck. That just like was such a left turn. Because there's like things like that that's on Odelay, but he just ups the ante so much on that record it goes above and beyond so i think what you have on odelay it's a lot of music that's kind of in quotations but i think in midnight vultures it's actually harder to tell like obviously a lot of the music is done with 
humor, but I think the musical part of it is no joke. It's just like, yeah, it's like yeah. just truly funky. It like, yeah. you know, <laughs> the funk is real. The funk is real. They are not faking the funk. It, the funk is real. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're already starting to talk about albums and we've hyped that I have these categories. So I will acknowledge that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does not have any criteria for induction. So it, it leaves us guessing who could and might get in. But since I'm a big old nerd, I have reverse engineered some categories that I think if you do well in them, you have a good shot at induction. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll see how Beck stacks up in the categories. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice little break. We hope over your break, you rolled. And whatever that means, you rolled roll, along. Roll, rolling on Molly now. Rolling on Molly is acceptable. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is you did. You might notice something different about us in the second half <laughs> of the show. Uh, I will certainly be sweating and chewing on gum. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, see if you can see if you can detect it. I just had to, I just had to crack open some water. Ooh, damn. Ooh. Interpret that as you will. Uh, Beck became eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. Uh, his first released recordings were in 1993. Golden Feelings, which is technically his first album, although it was a very limited run. It was 93, as was you know the initial release of Loser. So Beck has been eligible. This would be his fourth year of eligibility, making the ballot for the first time this year. And his connections to the Rock Hall, he performed Satellite of Love for Lou Reed's induction in 2015. Satellite of Love he has shown up he has played the game a little bit let's go to our first category iconic slash recognizable songs and we've alluded to it already but the big one that everybody knows that will get played on jack fm loser Know that's, a Beck that's, song. The, that's the biggest one for sure and then by, i think i think that's like it becomes interesting trying to decide like what is the second biggest because he has yeah. a lot of songs that could qualify as second biggest that's yeah and that's like, true is it where it's at i mean i don't know so you know what i think actually might behoove us is to go through this chronologically because i it's like there's the top tier with loser obviously and then in terms of recognizability I mean, you could make an argument that it is diminishing returns from there, but instead of kind of jumping around, I think we could go chronologically because there are a lot in that in those kind of second and third tiers, whether or not you listen to a lot of alt-rock radio yeah. in the 90s. I would actually argue that his, his body of work has this kind of like peaks and valleys. So mm-hmm. like he'll just kind of gain relevance you know, so he'll have a couple records that, that, you know, don't like go over huge, but it's fairly steady, but also like the peaks kind of come in like weird distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of artists where it's like, you know, they peak very early or like the, all, all the stuff that's important. It's within like three or four years. I don't think is the case for him. No, I don't think so either. But Loser went to number 10 on the charts. That was the highest, Ooh. highest position, went gold has been on the Rolling Stone list of the of the greatest songs. The, the other thing about Loser is, you know, that it truly was a surprise to everyone, including Beck. It's a, it's a very zeitgeisty song, because it's kind yeah. of like, that was like the era of like Slacker, and that was kind of like the Slacker song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a Gen X anthem. Exactly. To, to and he dismay. was like very, yeah, and he was very much like, yeah, he, he looked like the totem for... Yeah 
Gen X at that time, you know, that like yeah. he was the avatar for Slacker. Yeah. Just kind of in that music video, you know, the way he was dressed, his haircut, things like that. Yeah, the whole aesthetic. The whole aesthetic. Uh, a real quirked up white boy. Yep. First of many, ruining something my he, life. <laughs> but that was something he wanted to break out of. And it's quite a task to be able to do that because it's a kind of a death sentence if your first big single is kind of a novelty record. How do you then subvert everyone's expectations? But with Odile, he he really did come around. And like you said, I think where it's at is yeah, that's potentially a candidate for number two. I think Devil's Haircut as well. So if you think about like, what is the song for him? It's Loser. What is the album for him? It's Odile. Odile, yes. like that's the classic. Like he, I think he has other records that people would consider like pretty big or classic, but that's the one. That's Well, and I also think if you know Beck, that's what you think he sounds like. Yeah, which is, I think, accurate because that record is like varied enough that it covers a lot of the bases for him. Yeah, definitely. Devil's Haircut, I, I want to point out, you know, the riff in the beginning and throughout is a derivation of Rock Hall inductee Van Morrison when he was with them is a song called I Can Only Give You Everything. It's not a sample, but it is the same riff. And what is interesting to me is they went back to that album within Odile and the riff with like the kind of chimes in the song Jackass. Is also a song by them, a cover of Bob Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. The highway is for gamblers, better use your sense. For two really huge hooks from the same album to be coming from one other album and not like a you know this is not this is just an album from the band them it's like not necessarily a, a classic album or one that people think about classic crate digging for sure i just I always thought that was interesting that they had two prominent samples slash riffs from them again the, yeah, the and, and that devil's them. haircut riff is i think is probably one of the more like musically recognizable things mm-hmm. in his career too it's like one of the things where it, it would be up there as far as like a, if you're just kind of like to do a musical signification of him or like do a drop or something that'd be mm-hmm. like, well and that's like the needle drop in a trailer you know yeah, like exactly. you can put that in it evokes immediately when it starts yeah and then the new pollution that was another one that just got played a lot and also all of these had music videos that were just like mtv was really playing music videos at this time constantly played music videos that you know had concepts and were fun and kind of silly and you know i think that also it makes a lot of these songs more palatable because they're like eclectic songs they have hooks and everything but they also just like switch tempo <laughs> and yeah. have mm-hmm. like you know breaks in them and things weird like that samples yeah. and I, I weird think, samples i think there's something you were getting at before Kristen. that's kind of like odile is, is definitely a major zeitgeist record for that kind of like 96 97 moment where 
turntablism is the word that's getting thrown around and samples are kind of starting to become ubiquitous outside of this like straight up rap. It's kind of a, a kind of a crossroads records, but it's also like so much of that moment when you think about that kind of like mid to late nineties energy. And, you know, then you just go through years where like, you know, you get like these kind of drum loops and things like there's also these little bits and pieces that maybe that's directly from this record. I think sometimes it's more directly aligned with like trip hop or something like that. But it's just kind of a change in production vibe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a record that really stood for like a whole category of music. There's definitely a lot of like far less famous things that fit comfortably around it. Like Cornelius, that's a few years later. Stereo Lab is not too many mm-hmm. degrees away from this. And obviously like, you know, it's not too far off from pavement either. So that was sort of like the friendly face in an easy entry point into this whole other realm of things that was happening in that moment. He made interesting music for the mainstream. Yes, you know, exactly. It's like he's somebody easily digestible. Who, yeah, he's digestible. Somebody who might not think that they would be that into something so quote unquote quirky or whatever could yeah. still get into a Beck album. And I mean, you know, you saying that Odelay and Paul's Boutique were both produced by the Dust Brothers. Like it makes so much sense. I didn't realize that. And I'm like a big fan of both of those albums and it really makes sense. But it's almost like we weren't ready for Paul's Boutique, but the radio was very ready and MTV was yeah. very ready for Oh, Odelay. you know what else the Dust Brothers did? Like a year, maybe same year actually, is Mbop. So, oh, so, so there, there's like a direct wow. line from Beck to like the teeny bop stuff at that point too. So, well, Beck is a Hanson. Beck's exactly. just kind of like the center of something that's happening. I mean, the, the boys in Hanson look like they're just kind of like Beck's sons. Yeah. Just, well, and just as like Joe cute, just said, this, this very particular kind of like cute white boy. Same last name. Oh my God. Yes. They're, 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 okay. <laughs> let's just say that they're literally his sons. They were, yeah. they're, they're, like, they're like clones. It's decreed. And, and then we talked about Midnight Vultures. There's some songs off of there that I, I think are recognized. Skip and mutations. Yeah, I'm like straight <laughs> yeah. up skipping Skip mutations, mutations, which I was actually, I'm like opening it up. I'm like, what was on mutations? I guess the only song that I think ever even broke out was Tropicalia. You wouldn't know what to say to yourself. Love is a poverty you couldn't tell. Misery waits in big hotels. That's a record for the heads. I mean, that's also kind of a thing that Beck does is he kind of goes up record, down record, up record, down well, record. Like we talked about with the the deal with Geffen, Mutations was supposed to be one of yeah. those records that was released. This was going to be released on Bong Load Records. It was not supposed to be one of the Geffen releases, but Geffen <laughs> right. heard it and they were like, they were we like, they were like Bong Load can't have this. <laughs> right. And he made that record. That's the first of, I think, three records he made with Nigel Godrich, who's like more famously the Radiohead producer, but this is like the year after OK Computer hits. So you're like, oh no, no, we paid for Nigel Godrich. This record's coming yeah. out on VGC, baby. Yeah, and it, it, the lawsuit then ensued because that was not the deal and, and Beck was not thrilled with them making that call for him. But I think that kind of changes things because almost everything kind of comes out through DGC from that Oh yeah, that it's, it stops. that The idea that he would release a small independent label albums just stopped happening. It, yeah. Pretty much from 
there on too big was... for bong load okay it's too big <laughs> but yeah but i think from there on like he, like he doesn't really abandon that method it just becomes like it's all going out because it's he's, too, in. he's yeah. too big for it like the whole idea of i think at that point in time it really suited him the first few records he did but at that, by that point like beck's a mainstream artist and it just didn't make sense to make the records harder to get yeah well and now i'm looking at midnight vultures and i'm like okay to me this is just 11 tracks that are like all recognizable <laughs> songs yeah, bangers, bangers, i maybe bangers. listened to this album too long too many times but it was kind of a flop i know yeah <laughs> but but, but, were... I, but the night vultures has become like such a beloved record through time and it's not like it flopped out entirely but it's like it's it didn't really blow up in the it way it didn't that, hit yeah. it's like people weren't wanting what he was giving them at that point i think midnight vultures connected i would right. say to certain people who were looking for almost like indie party music like it was before there was indie dance music in that regard as far as I knew like it was kind of like the Latigra like indie party music I think was just becoming a thing and I think this was just a, like a little step before the right people found it or like yeah. were ready to hear it that Latigra record that, that's actually a really good connection I don't think I, I've ever really thought about but yeah because there is a, there's a certain amount of connection between the so that, that's the same year they're both 1999 yeah, I think that's 99 yeah they're kind of pitched for different audiences like this is meant to be like a mainstream record I, I do mm-hmm. think that the record may have done better if they'd come out the gate with just like a really funny over the top video for Deborah, but he really backed away from that the fact that, that Debra like, isn't the most known of his songs it like it hurts it's my feelings to me. My number one favorite Beck song. Debra is one of my favorite karaoke songs. I've done it as a drag performance before, too, which is very funny. But the audience doesn't know it. So if they don't know it, they think that you just like found this joke song. You know what I mean? It's it's a real set and setting song. Exactly. It's a very set and setting song where it's like, I was like, he's just saying nonsense, Zenku chicken, whatever that is. It's like, (laughs) now I'm like, Glendale. I mean, all of the references (laughs) in Debra like hit so different. The minute I entered a Los Angeles zip code, I was like, oh, I understand. I know oh, Deborah now. The, the, the first time I was in LA, I was basically doing uh, like a Beck tourism thing. So yeah. Like, oh yeah, you God, can hit is, up the hotspots. So, yeah. Although you you might not be able to find a JCPenney anymore, but like you could like <laughs> oh, I, mean, I grew up with JCPenney's. So yeah. That song to me, I, I mean, it's like a Prince song. You hear it and Absolutely. you're like, oh, this is a Prince song that I'm listening I, I think to. he was terrified of that song becoming a big hit and that's why yeah. it, did, it did not become a single. Yeah, it was not but, released but, to this day, it's definitely one of the most beloved Beck songs. You know, I think he he has a complicated relationship with that song, but he knows well, how much like people love it. He probably knew he probably knew what he had on his hands when he wrote well, I mean, well, it. That song was like this. Like, it was like a big part of the Odelay tour. So like mm-hmm. every all those Odelay shows. Like I mean, there's a lot of amazing footage of him doing Deborah in that era. Any footage from like that era, like the Odelay uh, Midnight Vultures era. He is such an incredible showman. Like he has become less of a showman over the years, I think largely because he had an injury that just made it much harder for him to dance. So I will say I was supposed to see him live in what year? It must have been 2003. It was supposed to be a two-day festival and then it kept getting condensed. It got condensed to one day. It was supposed to be two days of camping and 
was one day at um, Giants Stadium in oh, New God, Jersey. Oh, God, that's a legendary yeah, failure. And it was, that's, oh, my it, God. It was insane. So you were there. I was there, and it was, the headliners were Beastie Boys, Beck, and Radiohead. And it was basically like the Beastie Boys were absolutely, they're one of my favorite bands, and they were terrible. They, like, couldn't keep it together. They kept having to stop songs and, like, start over. It was, like, really bad. So they finished, and again, I'm like, okay, well, we still got back, and Radiohead to come out. They took, like, 25 minutes, 30, it took, like, almost an hour to reset the stage for Beck. I mean, it's giant. There's huge lights out there and everything. It had been raining all day long. <sighs> Literally, as Beck is about to take the stage, he slipped and fell backstage. Wait, that's it. That That's what it happened. What? So that's the that, big that injury is the that day. ruined that's his the day dancing it happened. Yeah. in 2003. So oh, no. I was there. And again, we had been in the rain all day long in this freaking stadium. And then we're like waiting. The big, his name's out in lights. We're like, yes, back. And then they come out and make an announcement. We're so sorry. He's been injured. We were taking him to the hospital. They start taking down the things. They have to take another oh, 40 minutes to set up for the radio headset. And then radio had played for two and a half hours. And it was incredible. Good for them. It was like the, the most God, redeeming. That is like, that's field day. It's like a legendarily yeah, cursed yeah. festival. Yeah, and like, <laughs> they, they had to do like a lot of, there's like, it was kind of like one of those things where it's like music festivals weren't really that much of a thing in America around that point. So it wasn't as like professionalized and like people just knew the, the general logistics of it. So this is one of those things where everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. Well, getting back to Midnight Vultures, I never really listened to Midnight Vultures. So I know the songs that were played on the radio, which Deborah wasn't. I had to learn about Deborah from friends who were like this song is like the best and that's how i found it and it is a prince pastiche but the time i found it i was like oh this sounds like a song flight of the concords would do yeah it does yeah. it's, it's like a joke. it's so it's funny a comedy song yeah but the two really the the two songs that from my perspective were played on the radio that i knew well the opening track sex laws and then the other one is mixed business basically sounds like the same song two different ways if, <laughs> yeah, you know what i mean like fit. and it's a good it's a good groovy ass song you know but it's the same song that album it's a it's a banger if you don't know it listen to it front to back and then listen all the way through it's clear he made deborah the song that had like the stupid hidden track on it so that it wouldn't be like you can't just play deborah Pluck you can't it, put yeah. it on a playlist back when you were trying to like or put it on a cd because yeah. it's freaking 12 minutes and six of those are silence after midnight vultures it was uh a departure, a sea change, you might say. Oh. Uh, yeah. Drastic departure, drastic departure. And sea change was like very beloved when it came out. And it's like his uh, big breakup record. It's, you know, very vulnerable, very acoustic and sad. And I think I will always kind of have a chip on my shoulder about that record, not because I dislike it, but because people who backlashed hard on Midnight Vultures would dismiss Midnight Vultures, but lift up sea change. And I think as a person, I am a Midnight Vulture person it always felt weirdly personal and i would say on that album lost cause is probably the song if anybody mm -hmm. knows so, yeah that, that's a huge one baby love baby love baby love 
like it's one of those songs that kind of pops up in places. It's probably been on a billion breakup CDs and playlists. <laughs> That's a record where any of those songs would work, but that one in particular, I think the sentiment, like, you know, maybe I'm a lost cause, you know, it's a real pouring a hole like Morton's thing of well, salt and on it's your wound. like a breakup album. I mean, it's just solidly, it's like an Adele album. You know what I mean? Like, it's like yeah. about one thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh very much and i don't like my music to be that sad um, <laughs> i feel so you. that was really hard I for me you. i was well, not into sea change i mean chris then after sea change he, he hooks back up with the dust brothers for well Guero. and there's these you know peaks and valleys that we're talking about it's like a pendulum swing of yeah of just mm -hmm. you know a kind of like more mellow album if you mm -hmm. will and yeah. then a more higher energy right so with with guero from my perspective the, the two songs that were played on the radio a lot and the ones i I still think you you will hear Epro sometimes. Oh yeah, Epro's huge. It's got like an irresistible riff up top. It's one of Beck's, I think, rockiest songs. And then Girl was also played quite a bit. that much anymore but and, and girl was also like a bit prominently used in like tv i think it was very prominent in the oc at some point i think it's in a nissan rogue commercial gotta be the aughts we're talking oc we're talking yeah. nissan rogue <laughs> I, I always think of epro as kind of being like crossbreeding uh devil's haircut and loser but it has a couple other weird dimensions to it that's and that song's really good live but yeah that that's definitely one of the big signature songs for him and girl i also feel like this like there's a couple like good sad songs in that one but i feel like those Pass. songs have a little bit more <laughs> yeah, they have a little bit more dimension than the sea change songs like musically so yeah. you know yeah and then so the the information is the album after that i don't know that many of those songs are still hovering around i'd say think i'm in love That, that record's really good, like but that, that's a, that record's like a real for the heads record. Yeah, and you know, it, it, I think it was recorded around the same time as Guero. Guero was Dust Brothers. The information yeah. was Nigel Godrich. So you, you got kind of both of the the main Beck producers. Um, and then you know he kind of goes away. I mean, I don't think there's really anything on Modern Guilt that anybody would know. And so you don't get information in 2006. Morning phase isn't until 2014. And, you know, and that's the surprise best album at the Grammys winner. That is Sea Changes Part Two. I think that kind of speaks to what we were saying before. Like, he's a person that the record industry likes. Mm -hmm. like he's a very respected mm -hmm. person. And I think what happened with Beck and Morning Phase, because that's the first record he'd released in several years, he was just kind of doing lots of projects and he did lots of, like, you know, just I'm going to cover a whole album with a whole bunch of other musicians, little projects like that. That was the first album he had done. He like produced other people's records. Uh, he produced one of Stephen Malcolm's records. I think he also does uh, Thurston Morse. So like these three floppy-haired icons of the mm -hmm. 90s. <laughs> you also get Songreader in that. Yes, yeah, Songreader. Like, which yeah, is interesting. Kind of like, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's like music. a sheet music instead of an album. The idea being that artists could then interpret it however they, they wanted, yeah. which is a good idea. I don't think it ever really bore too much interesting fruit. But, but what, what I was getting at is I think what happened to him is the same thing that happened to uh, Steely Dan uh, when they reunited 
did that made a record, they basically were cashing in a lot of uh, like, oh, well, they're great. They've always been great. And there's like a lot of music industry people, a lot of, you know, with the Steely Dan, you get a whole like block of session musicians and jazz people mm-hmm. and R&B guys. I think Beck basically had that situation where it's like, these are basically lifetime achievement awards. And I promise you that Beyonce will eventually get that and it'll be for a record that people are like, oh, that's not really a great Beyonce record. Almost certainly that's what's going to happen. A lot of these awards are like that, where it's like Scorsese got his uh, Oscar. Departed. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that <laughs> is how it works. I'm sure Paul Thomas Anderson's going to get it for some late period thing that's going to be like his like eighth best movie. I would say that's a, a point in the Rock Hall's favor is that even if the accolades come late, it's still a Lifetime Achievement Award. It doesn't have to be attached to whatever they released recently. And you don't need a recent release to acknowledge the artist because you can, you know, if you missed them, you can still catch up with them and, and give them the accolades. I would say if there's a song on Morning Phase that people know, it would be Blue Moon. Yeah, which is probably not too well. That, yeah, I'm like, this is where I just am absolutely record. lost. Like, I, I mean, I clearly have love for Beck and care for him deeply mm-hmm. uh, yeah. as a musician, but am I familiar with anything that he put out in the teens and beyond? No. Well, I mean, what comes after this is like a pretty big pop turn, and I think the songs from Colors... Oh, I remember the song Wow. Right, yeah, Wow's well, a good one. Up All Night is a huge hit. And Dreams is, I think, a song maybe that you hear the most out out of all of those. with Greg Kirsten who's a big like producer who's like if you look at his body of work like oh my god that guy's worked with everybody you know I think like he wanted to make a big pop album and it worked yeah like the you know I think he kind of hit at exactly the right point where a lot of these songs could be big hits he was releasing these singles it was a little bit of like when's this album going to come out because dreams was 2015 and why I was 2016 and then the album eventually came out in 2017 I feel like colors is like the best of this whole lane of music through that era it's kind of like Beck having a a level of sophistication that he could kind of aim for this general target, but bring in, well, one, some of the quirks that he has, but also, you know, just make it a little bit more musically exciting than some of the other things Now you're making me want to listen to some late stage Beck. I have not really gotten into it at all. Yeah, he continues to experiment. If you like the up-tempo Beck, it's like definitely in that zone, whereas like morning phase is definitely sea change too. There just stopped being a way for like Beck to get to me. I guess KCRW could have brought him to me, but like, uh, you know- KCRW music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like that feels like some KCRWS stuff right there. Yeah. Some you're left of the dial stations. We're still playing some of this music. I think the thing with colors though is that unless you're kind of in any way like connected to that stuff, like it's very easy to not realize that Beck had really big hits on that record. Mm-hmm. So it's like I think there's a whole portion of his audience who would be like really into that stuff, but wouldn't might, might not even really be super familiar with the stuff before that. So I'm 
mean, I think that kind of closes out the songs category, and we've done a pretty good job of folding in the next category, classic albums. We've more or less gone through the the discography. Like we said, there's the album After Colors, which is Hyperspace, which is essentially a Pharrell collaboration. Yeah, and I, I think that's another, that's an important thing because like Pharrell, I think is another, he's a huge, huge Beck guy. He's mm-hmm. like, have you ever heard him talk about it? Like, he's like a humongous Beck fan. He like holds Beck in this incredibly high regard, which makes a lot of sense given Pharrell's taste and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think Pharrell is kind of a microcosm for like probably a lot of people who aren't maybe even like people you'd consider to be like rock or indie people. So I think Beck kind of reaches a lot of weird pockets of people. And I think that's probably one of the arguments here for the rock hall, not just in terms of the music industry, but I think Beck's an artist who uh, has a wider range of appeal than other people who would be almost like directly analogous to him. And, you know, if we want to think about the Rolling Stones set and what they think of Beck, I will pose the question to you guys. When we're talking about classic albums, do you think any of the albums that Beck released made it on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list? Odalay did, right? I think Odalay has got to be on there for sure. I'd be like so shocked if it wasn't. But Mm -hmm. I also could see them trying to be like even more esoteric and being like, you know what? It's actually mellow gold if you really think about it. Um, (laughs) You know, or like doing some shit like that or being like, oh, well, you know, which one won the Grammy? You know, like, but I would think Odalay at least Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned Grammy. Odalay was nominated for a Best Album Grammy, as was Midnight Vultures. And I'm not talking about like rock album, like Best yeah. album, album of the of Album the of the year. year, which is you know. So he has always been right. Steely beloved. Dan was one of the things that beat Beck for that era. Oh wow! But yeah, a- a- anything beyond Odalay. Odalay seems like the obvious pick. Do you think there was ever potentially another one? Maybe Sea Change. I mean, I want to believe is Midnight Vultures. Midnight Vultures. I want to believe this was a time when culture was way more monolithic and less niche and it was very possible for the things that were on MTV and on the radio to mean something to everyone not just to the people who mm-hmm. cared or whatever so I don't know I mean yeah I definitely think Odalay and I'm gonna give a I hope so to Midnight Vultures all right so obviously Odalay has made every iteration of the list mm-hmm. where do you think it fell on the list I think it's in the 400s or something I don't know 210 so it's on the it's on the original list, 03 at 305. And then for the 2020 Redux, it fell to 424. Mm. So I voted in that one. Oh. I, the, la- the last two big ones they did, I voted in those. And I absolutely voted for Odalay. When I vote in those things, but especially the Rolling Stone one, because I, I have a sense of who the voting body is, mm-hmm. my whole strategy is I am voting for Gen X. Yeah, you <laughs> have to. Because they're the people who are going to get screwed by the monolithic voting blocks of the boomers and, and the millennials. They're the sandwich generation. I think there's only like a handful of non on Gen X stuff that I voted for in those things. And I'm, I'm also like voting for ones I think other people will vote for. So hence, mm-hmm. I like Midnight Vultures better, but I'm voting for Odalai. Yeah. Right, yeah, strategic. Sea so. Change has also been on the list. It was on the original list at 440, but is not on the on the 2020 Redux. Yeah, I think that one's fallen out of favor a lot. Yeah. And Midnight Vultures is kind of like ascended. We love to see it. And maybe on the next, we're on winning, the next version. We're, we're the voice of the future. We Let's always Let's make do. this happen. But yeah, the, I mean, the, the album output, there's a lot there that people really love. And, you know, we just talked about the Rolling Stone list, so we can use that to transition to the next category. Critical acclaim. I think Beck is one of the most like critically adored 
artists potentially of all time. Uh, yeah, because you know, even records that are, aren't really like the big ones for him, like he doesn't have any record that's kind of like slammed. He doesn't have no. any record that anyone's turned on him. There's just some records that people like more than others. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the consistency of positive uh, vibes from critics has been pretty much consistent for you know the entirety of his career. And you know he was Spins Artist of the Year in 1996. He won Best Solo Artist at the NME Awards in 97, 98, and 2000. That's the cooler arm of the critic community. You know, we've been doing this recently, and I think we, we got to do it every time. We got to check in with what Robert Criscow has to say, you know, self-described dean of rock critics. He, you know, he, he's given a lot of high grades to Beck. And I, I pulled this quote, proving how cool you are by making an album that sounds like shit is easy. Proving how cool you are by making an album that comes this close to sounding like shit is damn hard unless you're damn talented. And that was a review of Mellow Gold of all albums, yeah, which, wow, which, he that, gave, yeah. which he gave an A. I had no memory whether he liked him or not, but I guess it makes sense that he would, especially for the 90s. He, I think he always wished that more of the indie rock people had a bit more, I guess, frankly, it's a black influence, which Beck did. So yeah, Beck was basically the, the, the student he wanted. I, I don't think there's much else to say, just like critical love runs deep when it comes to Beck. But let's go to the other side of the equation and talk about commercial success. One of the few artists that does well in both. It, it's not like a seesaw here. You know, if we look at his albums, you know, Mellow Gold went platinum, Odelay went two times platinum, Mutations, which was for the heads, as we said, but it went mm-hmm. gold. And Midnight Vultures went gold, and Sea Change went gold, and Guerra went gold, and the inf- Information went gold. It's like not like mega hits, but a solid following. Yeah. I feel like if you can sell gold every time, then that's probably one of the best case scenarios for a career in music. Just that, that kind of stability. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We did Dolly Parton last week and you know she's at 100 million records which i don't believe beck is uh, close to that but you know he has <laughs> sold he has sold well at getting that gold certification consistently especially for someone like we've said who is weird who is you know makes music that could be challenging to the mainstream that is certainly a point in his favor it feels like music that would be pretty easy to play for kids um, uh, at least some of those records mm-hmm. like it seems like a, like a like a record that like parents could play like you know gen x Sweetie, parents this could song play for is kids. called sex laws yeah nobody is very, <laughs> you know he's being sexy and sexual in enough of a winking kind of poppy way yeah and yeah you're, there's not going to be like any objectionable especially for like a gen x parent yeah to, like, i think like odelay you could play for like odelay is pretty un, un- objectionable record now what's happening honey is he's going through a breakup okay so these songs are a little sad you know it's like you know it's like mitski it's like mitski yeah we love mitski right sweetie now turn off the turntable yeah children really do know how to flip records again (laughs) Um. yeah Yeah, i mean wild let's go to the next category which is influence there's some things to talk about here i wanted to talk about like the very immediate influence almost the beck ripoffs which I, i think is an interesting category you know, that's not necessarily the shining examples of influence that you want. But, you know, there, there's some songs that I think are worth pointing out, like the song Better Days by Citizen King. Oh, wow. And then the bottom drops out. Yeah. Song, wow, a major radio hit. 
Yeah. And that song to me really feels like they're trying to do some Beck stuff here. Like doing when the bomb drops out, but doing it into like an old phone, you know, like trying to get that lo-fi thing with record scratches and like the rapping style. It feels like a very similar thing. Yeah. I feel like there's this, he's like a lot of white rappers for sure are going for Beck's lane. Like like, like the eels. Yes, I I have eels written down. Like a a post Beck thing. Life is hard. And so am I. Like, I, I don't know if the Eels necessarily has the career without Beck. When you first said, like, uh, like Beck ripoffs, the, the thing that first came to mind was a very, actually, a very obscure thing. It's one of those things that was kind of like direct to Dollar Bin, but it was on DGC, the same label, this group called St. Johnny, and they have a song called Scuba Diving. Which is very good, but it's like most—it's just a flagrant Beck ripoff. It is uh-huh. just unbelievable. You could play it for someone; and they would just think that it was Beck. We we had talked, Kristen, when because we recently, you know, the new class of eligibility is 1996 this year. So we were listening to some artists from that year, and you know, there's so many artists. They do the thing where the beginning of the song is the needle dropping on the record, which mm-hmm. I do think that comes from Beck. You know, that's how where it's at starts. Um, yeah. And, you know, there, there's a few examples of that. I think about the song Your Woman by White Town. Oh, my God. It's kind of like rip pop and Beck at the same yeah. time. Uh-huh. And something I never thought about, but now that I hear it, it makes sense. It's not so much an influence as it is a parody, is that the song Pepper by Butthole Surfers was making fun of Loser. Marky got with Sharon, Sharon got Sharon. Yes, yeah. the butthole yeah. surfers was going to be that. Absolutely, this is like probably the only possible way we could get a hit is by doing a fake back song. If I'm making mm-hmm. fun of him, yeah. By making fun of him, well, and like they did it and they got their their biggest one hit. hit. It's very funny. For a band called Butthole Surfers, they went as far as they could go. <laughs> for a song, or like like they were like they say the word rapist at least twice. Yeah, it's a, the what 90s a were a wild time. What a time! And you know, some this isn't exactly influence, but it it, it kind of shows the appreciation from the artists that came before him but johnny cash liked beck and covered a song called robo which was you know an, an obscure album cut robo, roll me to the shore and tom petty and the heartbreakers covered asshole anything to make you feel like an asshole which again relatively obscure album cut yeah those are from those like non mellow gold indie records the both of those Mm -hmm. but in terms of like just beck's influence now not immediate novelty extending a little bit further what do we think that's hard to say i think indie dance music in particular owes something to that i don't necessarily know meaning like the artistry or like a, a a direct line but i just think he opened the door for like the mainstreaming of dance music that wasn't cheesy that felt like it might mean something a little bit more and to that i think just maybe the blending of genres whether it's mm-hmm. dance and indie or it's you know hip-hop and rock and country and folk or whatever it is his ability to do that and be successful with it i think had some ripple effects on you know what we have now which is almost like a post-genre landscape of music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My feeling is that 
Beck probably doesn't have a lot of direct musical influence on a lot of artists who are working right now, but I think that will probably change. I would predict that at some point, we've mentioned Steely Dan a few times, but Steely Dan sort of out of nowhere became a thing that lots of people were suddenly very passionately interested in, Mm -hmm. or like well outside of the demographic that people would have expected. And I can see that kind of happening for Beck at some point. His whole discography is ripe for a lot of people to be like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. All of them, you know? Yeah. A new generation like, that didn't think, grow up with it. Yeah, when he becomes a TikTok sound. Yeah, I, I think it's just kind of one of those things where like it just takes like a certain few influential people for people to kind of get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. So I would predict that this will eventually happen for him. It seems pretty likely. I think like unlike Steely Dan, which is tremendously difficult to emulate, Beck is fairly easy to emulate in a lot of ways. So I, I could see that becoming a more direct influence. I think Kristen is right that like he he was very crucial towards getting people in the early aughts to be a little more cool with like, oh, we, we can dance. We're allowed to dance. We, <laughs> well, we and also dance. like, take you know, <laughs> grunge and like alternative music at the time took itself so seriously and he never really and he did. never he came on the th- on the scene being like lol i'm <laughs> like before we were even loling he was out here making us lol I-, I think he came on with a tongue-in-cheek and kind of made it okay to be a little silly in indie rock music which we didn't have that yet we had like really people who were so fucking serious about yeah. what their music meant man you know silly is so the right word like it's yeah. silly like is it because he's not goofy he's silly and mm-hmm. i've heard this kind of come up a few different ways but like it does seem like the cool version now is to be silly so maybe yeah. that is that's for different contexts where the word silly comes up and this kind of like no that's how you want to be you don't want to be like snarky or you don't want to be like the kind of dialogue that'd be in a marvel movie you don't want that you want to be silly silly is a different energy I think maybe we're entering a silly era and back like well, like serious silly is irreproachable. Like you cannot fight silly. You look like such an asshole mm-hmm. if something's silly and you're fighting against silly. Like there's nothing you can do in the face of silly. The best approach to call almost anything is to just feel silly about it. Because what's like the opposite of that is like serious. So if someone tries to come at you with serious, it's like everyone's like, whoa, man, just yeah, chill, chill out. <laughs> I think there's there, there's also an art in silliness like being wacky or goofy does not imply art at all but no. silliness implies kind of like a nonsensical like a knowing. and also it's like thing yeah yeah you've got to know in order to be silly you know yeah. like you got to even know what you're being silly about it's not nonsense it's silly i don't know man i guess i just had a diatribe there what we go. a theory what a espousing theories the next category and you know we've talked about it we i think we've kind of covered it but artistry slash skill when you look at back it's you know the thing you think of artistic independence and constant experimentation, infusing that with pop sensibilities too. Yeah, he's, he's got range. He can cover a pretty good amount yeah. of range. Like even just like little random things he does. Like he did a cover of I Only Have Eyes For You that is just gorgeous. You're like, okay, that's, that's, that's something you can do as well. Uh, 
very skillful yeah. artist. Yeah, and someone and who kind of endlessly curious, like willing to try things. He stands for a, a, I think a very particularly Gen X eclecticism. When I think of like who would be the most similar person in terms of body of work, I would say it's probably Damon Albarn, another person who you just would never have thought early in his career. Oh, this will this guy will eventually be a credible hip hop producer. Well, and also a guy who once again, you know, took something that was notably serious and made it a little silly you know yeah. i think blur had a lot of silliness playful. to it playfulness you know it was kind of what sets them apart yeah, from and then his next project was cartoons you know yeah <laughs> so, exactly it's like which you know there is a gorillas back collaboration called the valley of the pagans <laughs> So like there are like plenty of times where Beck or Damon Albarn is just like deadly serious on record totally. mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. just like utterly heartbreaking on record. But like, that's not what's interesting about them. Yeah, like, if you can, if I you think can do that good. range, it's just not common to, to, to kind of do both of those things very well. All right, final category, maybe the most important one. Does my mom know who they are? And yes, absolutely. Beck's famous. And sometimes that's all it takes with a, with a rock hall. But yeah, Becky's ubiquitous. The catalog is is deep and long. At the very least, he has Loser, which is enough for some people to know who he is. But, you know, he's a mainstay at the Grammys, like one of the most mainstream yeah. network television. Yeah, he's all over the place. It's Beck. And, I, you know, I think I may have skipped longevity, but, you know. Well, I think we covered that when we went through all his yeah. albums. We went through all his, went through all his albums. So yeah. One thing I was thinking about is he came onto the scene in like 93 and Beck can still be a musical guest on Saturday Night Live. Like it wouldn't seem out of place. He's done it seven times, I think, which I think shows that, okay, this has been a guy where he has been relevant the entire time. Well, and I think Matthew made a really good point earlier too, which is one of the most important or notable things about him is that the culture and the crowd has never turned on him. He's never had a flop. Mm -hmm. He's just had a bunch of albums. Some of them did better than others, but like everyone's got baseline pretty good feelings about him you know whether you like him or not you're like oh Beck, yeah that guy like you know yeah like i I don't think anyone even feels like he ever fell off in any serious Mm -hmm. way yeah i feel like he's a person who doesn't really inspire anger no yeah no absolutely not even if you don't really like Beck, he's a person that people respect Yep, mm-hmm. and I think like especially when you're talking about like a like, like rock and roll hall of fame, like respect is like at least half the game here. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, and you might go not for me, but I get it. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's do our verdict then. Should Beck be in the rock and roll hall of fame? Will he get in, and will it be this year? And. Kristen, let's start with you. Oh boy. Okay. Well, I think he should, and I think he will. This episode has maybe convinced me that he might be knocking my girl, Pat Benatar, out of the sixth slot, which, you know, absolute heartbreak. Uh, This is his first nomination. The other 90s artists on the ballot, we've already said, is Rage Against the Machine. Now, as history stands, that means that Beck is getting. Um, <laughs> like, if we were like to use history as an example, if we yes. were to use history as an example, that means things are looking good for Beck Hansen. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely think he's going to get in in the next like five years. I think he'll probably get in in the next three. I think he's if he's on the ballot again then he's getting in the next time he's on the ballot, whether it be next year or the year after. Um, but I think he's got a shot. Sure, I think it could be this year. Matthew, what do you think? I could see it being a dark horse thing. I wouldn't mm-hmm. bet on it, 
but it wouldn't be like tremendously surprising for I think a lot of the reasons we kind of went through, especially the fact that he's very loved by the industry. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he should eventually get in. I think in a perfect world, I think there's a lot of like his immediate peers I would put in ahead of him. I mean, I actually like wrote down a few, like, I mean, there's some of these where I was like, I have to assume that they're, you know, staggering these things so they can be for like future, like the Smashing Pumpkins feels like, why would that not be in, but Green Day is? And I think the only answer you could really have for that is maybe a lot of people in the industry do not like Billy Corgan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the that's answer. That would probably be the main thing there. But otherwise, there's like no logical reason why the Smash Pumpkins wouldn't be in this especially given a lot of their immediate peers are. Um, like Soundgarden feels weird, especially with how Chris Cornell passed away. And I think there's a lot of energy around that. And then, you know, so and then there's other, a few, like I think Alice in Chains probably as well. But then also like a closer to where Beck is, I think like Sonic Youth and Pixies make a lot of sense. And I, I could see, I could certainly see the Pixies eventually getting in. It the just Pixies seems weird that they have more than gone. Sonic Youth um, with regard to the Hall's uh, hipness level. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think PJ Harvey, Tori Amos, Bjork, Hole, all those things should at least get nominated. It just feels weird to, because those mm-hmm. are all totally eligible. But I think, you know, well, when you're really coming down to it. Well, and you've mentioned Pavement many when, times, you know. Yeah, Pavement. I, I mean, but, but all these artists are like more famous than Pavement. So it's like, you know, but yeah, I think Pavement's another one where like, I have to imagine that over time, they're going to get these 90s acts in. But I think the one thing I would say to the hall is like, listen, the mortality rate on Gen X artists is very bad. Yeah. So if you want these people to show up, you better start acting now because you've already missed the boat on Soundgarden. And Alice in Chains and yeah. I don't know. If you want Courtney Love to show up, maybe work on that now. It's, it's that versus the, you know, the, the many people who are in their 70s on the ballot right now that, you know, for reasons yeah. of just their, of their age. Yeah. But the boomers get the serum. They get the serum and they generally stay alive <laughs> a very long time. It's true. For my verdict, it's like, I think Beck does very well in all of my categories And I just think he is the type of artist that is very appealing to the hall in that he's an experimenter. His music is challenging, but he does it without compromise and manages to be successful while doing it. Yeah, you really tell a good story with Beck. But I don't know that it's going to be this year just because I think it's competitive. I think it is jockeying for that sixth slot. I definitely think it could happen, kind of echoing what has been said already. I think it's going to be easy for someone who is voting to look at this ballot and to say that Beck can wait. Now, should they have yeah. also said that for the Foo Fighters the last Foo year? Fighters, maybe? Yeah, you know, and they could have said that too, whether it's Foo Fighters or Green Day or whoever that got in relatively quickly. But I guess you know, they don't really look at Beck as a ratings guy, whereas like Eminem, that's a ratings guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Foo Fighters, that's a ratings band. Yeah. But critically beloved. I mean, I think Rage Against the Machine is probably a better argument. We'll tune in for that. That's a bigger band. I would love that. I mean, personally, yeah. I actually would like Rage to get in over Beck this year, just because they've been on the ballot so many times and I like them and I think it would be really exciting and fun to see them. And I like Beck more than Rage, but I would actually like Rage to get in. Rage is always sitting just out, in my opinion, and the way I, I kind of evaluated, they're always sitting just outside of the ballot. Like, I never think they're at the bottom. I I think they're always getting close and you know it's got to be how many times have they been nominated yeah this, is, this yeah. is the fourth one they wouldn't keep putting them on the ballot if they were i think this pool rage is an extremely good shot i mean we have a lot of solo artists on this ballot you know rage is hard 
without being like technically heavy metal, which, you know, could satisfy stuff for, for certain people. I, I, you know? I have a question. So it feels like there's a real consensus that Duran Duran is almost certainly getting in. This, this is the first time they've been nominated, This right? is the first time they've been yeah. on the ballot. And, you know, I would say they're not as solid as you might think, but I, I would probably guess that they're getting in. But, you know, I, I don't think yeah. they're as sure as, say, Dolly or, or Eminem. I would actually say, I think Carly and, and Lionel have a better shot than Duran Duran because I think there's still some people out just there who age. think Duran Duran is a joke or they think they're just pretty boys and stuff and I think that could hurt them. Didn't hurt Bon Jovi. But Duran Duran also just feels like it's like completing a set with some things they've done more recently. You yes, know? that's very true. They, they've been out there putting music out that is well received and you know this is kind of a, a victory lap. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Duran Duran deserves it. I don't really like love Duran Duran, but it feels like the, yeah, it'll be I, fun. I feel like there's a, there's a key part of the puzzle for the 80s, you know? Yeah. Well, why don't we say that Beck is getting in this year and let's talk about who would give the speech to induct Beck. Now I have a, I have a few names written down. David Miscavige. <laughs> oh no. Um, Not Tom anymore. Cruise. Um, you know, he is good friends with Jack White. And that's a very hall pick too. Yeah. They say that they're sitting on like an album's worth of material uh, that they've collaborated on together. And there's some of that stuff has been released. I just started hating some people today. They've played together live a, a decent amount. They seem to be buds. Another person who has played live with Beck a bit and has appeared on some album tracks and I believe played with him at the Grammys was Chris Martin from Coldplay. Also a very Hall pick. And he inducted Peter Gabriel. So yeah, he is yeah. in what the What about mix Pharrell? Pharrell's the next that one was I was, was going to say. I think Pharrell is the, is the no-brainer gimme. That's obvious. Like if you can get Pharrell, yeah. get Pharrell. Like, they, you know. I mean, Pharrell's on the board. The yeah. only reason you yeah. don't do Pharrell maybe is because... To give he, him to someone else. Well, he yeah, him give him to someone else or he like he just induct I know it was virtual but he just inducted Kraftwerk he inducted now Rogers in, in 2017 so it's just like I, I just get the sense like knowing everything I know about Pharrell with his passion for Beck that he's like one of the guys who's like pounding the table to nominate Beck uh -huh. so I think I think there's a passion there I mean there's other like friends of Beck who make sense like you know like Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips yeah, I mean, like Wayne Coyne's not a big enough name. HBO, for, and for you got to think The Rock. Yeah. 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 I feel like Beck is like widely loved enough that most people like would want to give it a shot. But I think I think Pharrell is probably the best argument because he, I think he would have the, the most interesting thing to say about him. Mm -hmm. I think. Well, Jack and he's not an obvious choice. I think if and you. That's fun. Yeah. I think that's what's fun. That's why I like it when they have people who you're just like, oh, I had no idea they were a huge fan of this person, or I had no idea that they were so influenced by this person and then you know yeah. they get to walk you through how they were you know it's not the obvious mm -hmm. carol king to, yeah uh, it's kind of like if kate bush does get in you would be like please get big boy like yes yeah, there's, no, there's no more exactly. interesting celebrity who yes. is like known to be a stan than him 100 yes. um, but you know the inductors are not always musicians and i think there's actually some people from the comedy side of things that could be included. I, Judd Apatow and Beck seem to be really close friends. They're kind of in that Largo world where, mm -hmm. you know, Judd will do shows and Beck will, will play a few songs at them. He interviewed Beck for some album release. They seem to be tight. The Lonely Island, I also think, are... Oh, wow, yeah. Are, you know, <laughs> if, if Sandberg, Sandberg or all three of them, Beck was on a song that they did called Attracted to Us. Oh, 
they also both did a song called Super Cool. With- on the Lego Movie 2 soundtrack. So they've collaborated a few times. I mean, like Mike D and or uh, Adam Horowitz would be like really good choice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's also fun. Just the coolest people in LA. Just <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Someone who straddles both the comedy and the music world who has collaborated with Beck before is Donald Glover. Oh, I was going to say Jack Black, but yeah, Donald Glover is another great choice. If you could get Donald Glover to do anything, I applaud you. I mean, <laughs> I mean it. I, I mean, know, well, I he's know. like become Glover. a reclusive genius now. It's like so funny. He used to be such a, kind of just like an affable guy who you were just like oh yeah the guy from community and he's out there doing stand-up and touring and things like that and now he's got a rap record but it's like a real sincere one it's kind of a kanye knockoff and now you're like oh no this man is actually just like legit between atlanta and oh god like redbone those two i think those two yeah. things like he has been so fully validated in both sides of what he does oh, yeah. that it's oh, like yeah. oh no, this is america like, so it's like yeah yeah like that guy uh no he did it he did it he went achieved on that level it's, few it's people have gone from being so close to corny just riding that edge of being corny and then absolutely flipped it to where you're like undeniable i can't believe the the trick that he has pulled it's like it's yeah. so impressive and yeah. then also i think the art he makes is really impressive it is, as well. it's good. <laughs> and then also as a bonus he's lando calrissian like what in the damn hell and what, what a life okay what a life. great okay. Uh, yeah. but you know the the collaboration with beck w- kind of came before that that period of dominance they have a song called silk pillow centrifugal force pulling me off course in a horse race changing horses midstream 14th place and uh i believe the album yes. title because That's the in- like because the internet came from a conversation he had with beck about like you know access to music that kind of stuff and so you know they're i i don't know if their friendship persists but it definitely was intact at one point yeah i think one of the key points here is that beck is a person that a lot of people love and you probably make a pretty long list of people who are like oh yeah I, i'll sure i'll do it it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people who have any disdain for beck he seems like a person who's probably uh very friendly to people at parties uh-huh. sorry uh-huh. leah remini did once famously call him a pussy apparently <laughs> yeah okay but yeah you know, <laughs> but no to your point yeah there's there's a lot of people who would do it but there's not a lot of obvious names of like mm-hmm. oh that's the person who has to do it so yeah. you know predicting it is maybe a little difficult so if he gets inducted he would perform uh, and he would do a three-song set. What do we think would be the perfect three-song set for a Beck induction? He was to three opening tracks and Midnight Vultures. You go Sex Lines, <laughs> Nicotine Gravy. So, I mean, obviously one of them would be would be Loser. I think maybe you end on Loser. You either open it or end No, on he, it. he opens on Loser usually. Got to open, I feel like. Okay. I, I, and then I, I mean, Mixed Business is a fun, and or Where It's Where At. Where It's At, to me, it seems like it would probably be a part of it. And then maybe EPRO because it's like so yeah, rock. I, I, think, I think those three are the ones to do. And if he wants to prove his relevance, he could do Dreams. I mean, actually, if, if I was going to switch out one of those three, I would be like, maybe you actually skip where it's at because that requires a whole different band setup. But maybe you play Lost Cause. You know, you just kind of show like a more dynamic range. In the middle, yeah. Yeah, you do bring Loser, it down. Lost Cause, and then E-Pro, you know. Yeah, you bring it down you, from Loser with Lost Cause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And also, I think that's actually really funny to get your Lifetime Achievement Award while singing about 
being a loser and a, lost, a, loser cause. And a lost cause. <laughs> yeah. God damn. That's great. Uh, well, Matthew, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us here. This was great. And I want to give you the opportunity to plug whatever you'd like, whether it's your social media or your writing or whatever. Yeah. I mean, well, I do Flux Blog and that's uh, fluxblog.org. And on Twitter, I'm Perpetua, P-E-R-P-E-T-U-A. And between those two things, you can find all the other things I have going on. So yeah. Perfect. Uh, and our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Rockhallpod at gmail.com is the email if you want Kristen to see your message. You need to designate that somewhere in your email. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it because she doesn't want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Five stars only. I beg of you. Anything less than five. We did get a four recently. And listen, oh, I, I appreciate hard your- to please. I appreciate your honesty, but that's just four is not going to help us. It actually, it hurts us. But I hope the person who gave that review enjoyed this episode. I think you can edit a review. I don't know. Thank you to yeah. Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the rock hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.